2: Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates and I work as an executive advisor a speaker, a coach, an author, and a university faculty member in now multiple universities in the U.S., and most recently, a university in Germany. I'm the lead author of nine books uh, focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead, and they are winners of multiple international book awards. I am delighted to introduce you to Mike Morrow-Fox, who is a co-author and contributing author to several of those books, and truly a thought partner in much of what we've done. Uh, Mike has worked for over 20 years in leading technology and human resources operations for healthcare, education, banking, and nonprofit organizations, as well as several years in university teaching. His bachelor's degree focused on industrial psychology and employee counseling, and his MBA focused on organizational leadership. He's currently completing a doctorate in educational leadership. So certainly the theme being leadership and also just a deep rigor and commitment to good thinking and good theory in this space. So I'm honored to have him as a collaborator and also a guest on this show. So by way of thinking about how we frame the show, My focus personally in doing the show is helping leaders update or innovate their leadership thinking and behavior in service of responding to the massive amount of change we are facing as a society and the idea that leaders provide the biggest leverage point in many cases for the global changes we're facing. And if we as leaders aren't updating how we lead, the outcomes we generate will certainly be suboptimal compared to what we have the, the opportunity to do. So I hope that everyone hears something today from Mike that you are able to try on implement either if you hear you're doing something that we would consider a bad boss Consider how you might refine it. And if you're doing things that we are suggesting as good bosses, pass them on to other people with whom you work. So, Mike is going to talk to us a little bit about what is a bad boss. As opposed to, we often talk about what are good leaders, so this is the counterpoint to that. How do I know if I am one, and what is the antidote if I am one, and how do I not only develop myself, but other people around me? So Mike, why don't you give us a little bit more about yourself, and then about this idea of bad bosses.
3: Well, thank you, Maureen. It's a pleasure to be with you today, and I'm very excited about the topic as you know, I'm really passionate about uh, bosses and, and the differentiation between leadership and bosses because there's a, so much out there about leadership and management and that kind of stuff. And yet, when we go uh, out to eat with our friends, what they're really talking about is bosses. And we know you know, the adage really rings true that people join organizations, and organizations a lot of times have good leaders, but they leave their direct managers, which are their bosses. So I'm really excited about the topic and, and very excited uh, um, that I'm able to bring some of the information to light. When people are listening to this, they can differentiate a couple of quick things. One of them is, is that Um, We're not going to talk about those obvious pieces. So you have an obvious piece where someone is mismatched for their position. We're not going to talk about that. That's maybe a different topic. We're also not going to talk about horrendous, awful people who happen to get into a boss position. So if your boss yells, screams, curses, and harasses you, that's not what I'm talking about. We're really talking about the difference between those bosses that are exceptional, that help their employees thrive, that get... Uh, the most efficiency out of their employees that keep their employees the longest that have their employees the most engaged and happy versus those that are less efficient and i think if somebody is listening to this then the two things that are going to keep them engaged in the program are that, number one, they're either listening to this saying, I know I'm going to hear about my boss. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, so they may, and you may start to hear some of the things that differentiate your boss and maybe some clues as to how they may uh, uh, improve a little bit. The other side of that coin is everybody thinks they're a good boss, and some people will be listening to it thinking, I'd like to become a better boss, and, and so they'll get some tips there too. So that's by way of introduction where we're going today.
2: Are you going to give us any ideas on how to manage up if I have a bad boss?
3: Um, I, I, you know, as I look at where, the stuff that we have to cover, I don't think as much there will be really good information on managing up. What uh, there'll be really good information on today is um, I thought that I was doing everything Uh, correctly as a boss, and maybe I'm going to rethink that and take a look at some of these resources.
2: Cool. Okay, so why don't we start with, um, give us some ideas of what you think bad bosses compared to good bosses, and and before you do that, I want to give some statistics maybe and see if you would respond to them. Some of the Gallup data on... People are most likely to be disengaged if their manager or boss is just not, not engaged with them. So the missing boss versus the bad boss.
3: Yeah, you know, this is, uh, so this is one of the most interesting pieces because I find a lot of really good leaders stick to the adage, "You know what? I hire good people and get out of their way." And I've had a a personal experience, The, the one that sticks out most in my mind was I worked with a wonderful guy who had really good, and when we talk about good leaders, he set a good cultural tone, he had a good strategic vision. Remember, though, that the boss is the employee's conduit into the larger organization. That's their doorway. And he was really bad at that. (laughs) And and so he had a number of technology employees, a couple of whom did some really phenomenal uh, programmatics for the organization that the organization became heavily reliant upon. And he used to say, you know, I'm not going to tell them how to do it or what to do it or why they should do it. I'm going to get out of their way. I let my people do what they want to do. And what happened was, uh, one by one, they left the organization and took all their technology knowledge with them. So as an organization, we were left with these wonderful programs and no ability to to update them or to uh, fix them when they broke. And, uh, And I remember that distinctly thinking, maybe this Leave them Alone doesn't work so well. You know, the Gallup stuff, they did a a piece that those people that are looking at it called Driving Engagement by Focusing on Strengths, if that's what you want to Google. But here's the most amazing thing that they found. When they surveyed over 1,000 employees, they had employees respond, and the first thing they responded to was, my boss focuses on my weaknesses or negative characteristics. And what they found was almost half, about 45% of the employees that said, yes, I strongly agree with that, those people were actually highly engaged. About 33% of them were neither engaged or disengaged, and almost a quarter, about 22%, were disengaged. But by focusing on someone's weaknesses, by saying, hey, Mike, I don't think you write so well. I want you to keep improving your writing. Those people actually had almost a 50% engagement rate. If I look at the flip side of that coin, of those people that said, you know what, my boss doesn't really focus on my weaknesses or my strengths, Um, About 25% of those people surveyed felt like they were left to do what they wanted to do. And what we found was only 2% of those employees were engaged. 57%, about half, were neither engaged or disengaged. And my goodness, 40% of those employees were disengaged. And I want to talk about what it's like to work with disengaged employees in just a second. But I want to contrast that. Because if we want to talk about being a great boss, that's a very active process. And the one question that really stands out here is, my boss focuses on my strengths or positive characteristics. 61% of those employees were engaged. And even larger than that in my mind is, only 1% of the employees strongly agreeing with that were disengaged. That's a huge difference. So by letting my employees do their own thing, saying, you know what, especially if I'm in a sales force, there's a tendency to say, you know what, they're out there in the field, let them do their own thing, get their numbers. If they're getting their numbers, I'm leaving them alone. That doesn't work so well. What really works well is getting to know them complimenting them on what they're doing right, helping them develop uh, develop themselves around the strengths that they come with and helping them utilize those strengths to go further with their customers and with the organization. I'll tell you another piece here that I love, and that is there's a guy by the name of William Phelps who's done all kinds of research because his wife came home one day. He just happened to be working on his doctorate. (laughs) He he now teaches MBAs. And uh, his wife came home and she said, I'm having a great week at work. And he said, really, what's going on? He said, oh, so-and-so's out sick. We're getting twice as much done. (laughs) He was surprised. And so he did some (laughs) research. And the research that he did, there was a wonderful piece published that was called How, When, and Why Bad Apples Spoil the Barrel. Negative Mm. group members and dysfunctional groups. So these disengaged employees, what happens is, Phelps and a group studied them, and what he found was when they got an actor to play a disengaged employee, and he had three specific disengagements that they did, what he found was that almost universally those groups had 30% lower productivity (laughs) than the groups that didn't have a disengaged employee. What his wife intuitively felt was, you know, when we had this negative guy going, oh, that's already been done or, or um, that won't work or those sorts of things, when we have those disengaged employees around, they draw the whole group down. And the best way to make sure as a boss that I don't have my employees dealing with those disengaged employees is to focus on my um, employees' strengths. I've got six times greater engagement rates than those people who were left to do their own thing and only 1% disengagement rates. And that's a huge, uh, uh, for a lot of bosses, that's a huge change in mindset.
2: So one, I need to be, if I were to do one thing as a boss, it would be connecting with their strengths. And then the other thing I heard was that employees who are actively disruptive Not only am I causing a problem by not being engaged, but allowing the disruptors uh, then again significantly contributes to the downward spiral.
3: Yeah, both of those things are absolutely correct. And it's really interesting because if I'm a boss, I'm going to be thinking about two things from this conversation. The first one is, would my employees say, yes, my boss focuses on my strengths, if the answer isn't yes to that, I've got some work to do. And number two, if I can think in my mind of so-and-so, and so-and-so's, you know, not stealing, and they're not hurting anything, they're just showing up, but they've got this negative energy that they bring. You know, I, I, they, they, their mantra is, I don't uh, uh, live to work, I work to live, and they've got kind of this negative air, and then... I, or what the I can
2: the f- I can't people who just can't we can't that can't it won't work yep
3: they draw they draw the entire group down they take away the innovation the creativity and the energy of the group and the research is by about 30 percent
2: 30 percent so that's a number to remember then that that we've got this if kind of the the cascading impact if i'm a disengaged boss. And maybe not that I intend to leave people alone, but my belief system is I've hired smart people. So of course they're going to get it done. So my disengagement because of my belief system drives employees to be less engaged. And those actively disengaged people, 30, what was the statistic? About 30%?
3: Uh, Those actively disengaged people generally pull down your... I think you can uh, uh, pull this from it, and that is actively disengaged people, although the language isn't specifically like this, draw down the productivity of of the group by about a third. Uh, So it's, it's a big deal to just let your employees do their thing, and especially if they're doing their thing, is coming in, being negative, and going home.
2: So instead of hiring more people... I could just get the ones who are there more engaged by 30%. That would be equivalent to adding a third more staff.
3: That's absolutely correct. And, and the research on engagement all the way around is like that. If you have one engaged employee, really you can find the productivity of, depending on what research you, you read, uh, up to uh, they'll do the work of up to three employees and they'll do it in a more innovative way. So you really want to work on that engagement. And I would say that the research is, one of the. if you can only do one thing on engagement, one of the most impactful things you can do is focus on employees' strengths and have them feel that you're focusing on their strengths.
2: So let me just clarify employee engaged employees can do up to the work of 3 people.
3: Yeah, it depends what literature you're reading but I think it's it's mm-hmm. fairly fairly, uh, um, there's a a few different studies, a Harvard study in particular, that took a look at uh, um, engaged employees being up to 300% more productive than disengaged employees. And I'm not sure if you compare engaged employees versus uh, not disengaged, but unengaged employees. But if you look around, I think in general, as a manager, a rule of thumb would be, I'm going to get between a quarter and, and a third more productivity out of... Out of those employees that are engaged? So
2: I know we spent a lot of time on this one. We're going to go to break shortly, but I just want to recap, because this, this sounds significant to me. If I am feeling like we're doing more with less and all that stuff and we're, I, I haven't talked to anyone who says we have enough people, we probably have too many, unless they've lost business and they have to reduce headcount. So if I am in the bucket like most people that I have more to do than reasonable human beings can ever get done, my biggest lever for for limited additional cost is focusing on my employee strengths. Yeah. And that doesn't cost me any money. It just means I'm change some behavior.
3: That's an interesting uh, way to look at it, but I I think that that's very fair. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny, too. I I know we're moving into break, but I'll just say that a lot of companies are now instituting development plans as part of their uh, um, year annual reviews. And Mm -hmm. most of those development plans focuses on weaknesses. If employees felt those development plans were focusing on and developing strengths and could feel that pulled through throughout the course of the year, it would be interesting. But uh, if you look at the research, I would not be surprised to find, again, you would get a bounce in productivity from those employees.
2: That's a great thought to end on. We will be back from break momentarily. We are uh, innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. We are joined today by Mike Morrow Fox, co-author of the Innovative Leadership book series. We'll be right back.
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com.
2: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: You are listening to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf associates.com. Now, back to this week's program.
2: Hi, welcome back. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today we are joined by Mike Morrow Fox and we're talking about bad bosses. So, Mike, why don't you tell us something else that differentiates
3: good bosses from bad bosses? Uh, Well, another one that pops out of the research pretty clearly is an interesting one, and I bet you run into this with your practice all the time. A lot of people are really busy with day-to-day operations, and so a lot of times uh, what a boss will focus on, maybe 90% of their time, is what's going on in the day-to-day and keeping the day-to-day rolling. I don't know if that's what you find within your practice, but that's what I find a lot when I'm dealing with consulting.
2: I I do. And most people think that's their job. And they think that's the, the whole of their job, not a key component. But there are additional things I need to focus on. So some clients will come to me and say, help me learn to be more strategic. Because I know that's part of my job, too. So tell us what great bosses do.
3: Well, it's interesting because what we find is a few different things about great bosses. So when I, I find somebody and they say, you know, I really, or, or as I, not that they say, but as they evaluate what they're doing over the course of their 40, 50, 60 hour week, really great bosses are only dealing with their operations maybe about uh, uh, 60% of that time what they're doing with the other forty percent of that time is number one a really good bosses are dealing with developing their employees so the corporate leadership council has done a study and what they found was that the most effective organizations have their leaders spend thirty percent more time on issues dealing with developing employees than those lower productivity and lower profitability organizations That's a big deal. So one of the things as you're dealing with customers is, or or, um, consulting is, is that you have to ask, how much time are you spending actively working on the agendas and developing your employees?
2: Some specific clients. Some people seem to almost be pre-wired that, of course, part of what I do is ongoing improvement. Others seem like it's something I value, but it never takes front seat. It continues to get bumped off my agenda. So I look at organizations like Anderson Consulting Accenture, where it was built into the fabric of the organization that we spent – I think it was two weeks a year, if not more, in training at the training center, receiving training as we hit manager and senior manager and above. We also spent time delivering training at their centers. And also built in was we, we had news feeds every morning. It was just if you weren't learning in that organization, you were actively avoiding learning.
3: And I think that's great. I I mean, those organizations, especially during today's uh, climate of business, those organizations tend to do the best. However, I want to take it a step further. And you're talking about trainings, which are formal events, and you're talking about Mm -hmm. learning and calls and that kind of stuff. But the question is, how much time is the boss spending relating with the employee and working with the employee? Because again, I may be going to training and learning a bunch of technical skills, that's all great stuff. But what we find is for those employees and and those organizations that are of the highest caliber, their boss is actually spending time with them. You know, it's an interesting thing that Malcolm Knowles did a, a bunch of research to find what's the difference between adult learners and uh, younger learners, because there's a big difference in the way that they learn. And of four Mm -hmm. characteristics, one that he found was that adult learners need to be involved in the planning of their learning. And in in his writing, what he talks a little bit about is really that you have to get to the why are we doing this and what are we trying to accomplish so that they can set their own table in the learning experience. And the same thing is true of work, since work really involves these days in particular a lot of change management, a really good boss versus even what we'll call, I would say, a bad boss is someone who is constantly saying, hey, here's what we're doing, and by the way, here's why we're doing it. How does this affect you? What do you think about it? And it really has a dialogue with their employees.
2: So again, to go back to what would I do if I'm a good boss? I sit down, we do development plans. So here are my goals for the year. And to deliver on these goals, I have to develop in these ways. In addition, I have personal goals for next steps and whatever else. I am also committing to building on my strengths and dealing with any deficiencies, this additional set of goals. Is that kind of what you're saying?
3: That's a part of it, Uh, and again, you're bringing in some good points. So there's, for example, a formal part like my development planning that might happen during an annual review time. But from year to year between those development plans, how are we relating? How is the employee and the, the boss really having a, a, a dialogue, a relationship? Does my opinion really seem to count because I'm asked it a number of different times? Does my boss really uh, uh, value me as a person as well as someone who brings in numbers? And again, we'll have a lot of people listening who are in sales organizations. And, and these are huge issues because when I talk with salespeople and I interview in companies to find out what's going on with, uh, with their employees, what a lot of them tell me is, I just do what I'm told. Or you know, I, I make my numbers, they leave me alone. And they're waiting for that next job where they're going to take their customers and whatever. If they get a, a 2% higher commission, they're gone because they don't have any conduit into the organization. So, what I'm really saying here is is that you're right. The training events are huge. The uh, formal events uh, are huge in terms of annual recognition. But what I'm saying is is that beyond focusing on somebody's strengths, it's having a relationship with them and making sure that they understand why we're doing what we're doing and making sure that their opinion on how we're doing it and what we're doing counts.
2: I was teaching a class yesterday and one uh, on this topic, and how do we engage people and, and give feedback? And the idea that many companies are either doing away with or significantly altering their performance management process. And that, the, so supporting what you're saying, that I can't get feedback once a year and feel engaged. It's an ongoing, hopefully non-event, because I'm talking to the person who evaluates me on a fairly regular basis about the work and also about how am I doing?
3: Yeah, that's a great point because really we have to be thinking about not just the operations but actually management itself as its own contact sport. (laughs) You know, management, Hmm. why people have so many bad bosses, why people are so disenfranchised with their bosses is because their bosses are focused on the operations instead of being great bosses. And I think the interesting part, too, and you can really comment on this from your coaching, it gets worse the higher up the ladder you go, and yet it's more necessary. So if I am a vice president my boss doesn't think of himself as a boss. He thinks of himself as a leader. He's not worried about my development or, you know, all that kind of stuff. I've got my own division. He thinks I've matured beyond that. Where the truth is, is that I probably need more coaching, more engagement, more focus on development as a VP than I did when I was just a, a supervisor with two employees or an individual contributor just working with customers.
2: You know, it's interesting, that's where I do a lot of my coaching, is senior people f- who are in those roles because they're highly competent. So people who are com- completely not cutting it are usually let go, they're not sent to me. So I just want to make that distinction. I, and the issue I see as most prominent is building political savvy. And I I need a guide if I, one, it's the skill of political savvy, and a appreciation for it, but also your point about conduit to the organization. I need input to, to build my algorithm to be more savvy.
3: Yeah, I think that's great. The way that I try and frame it with my leadership clients, too, is that one of the most important things they can be really focusing on is, am I helping my employees build their confidence? I should have that as one of my goals. Everybody who I manage should feel more confident when mm. they leave my employee than they did before.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And if they're leaving even more competent, but not more confident, we lose. You know, you, uh, you and I, I know, have done some work, and, and we talk about Ray Kurzweil. And uh, he wrote a wonderful paper called The Law of Accelerating Returns. He's done a lot of futuristic work and some great stuff. If you Google The Law of Accelerating Returns, you'll have to read it like five times because it's just got so much in it and it's a little complex. But here's a line from it that's just amazing. He says, it won't be 100 years of progress in the 21st century. It'll be 20,000 years of progress in the 21st century. And he spends a whole paper backing up why it's going to be so much progress. And the reason is is that we're going to have lots of change. We're already experiencing it. Our employees need us to help partner with them to deal with the fact that that it just turns upside down every other day.
2: And So part of that is also personal resilience. How do I personally, as a human being, and then as a leader – navigate the volume of change that is happening in my own personal life.
3: That's correct and in order to do it you gotta be a fairly confident person especially if you have got a large budget and a bunch of people who depend on you to get their job done. So uh, you know again at every level people need confidence and they need someone to help them build that confidence and I become confident when somebody focuses on my strength When somebody is helping me prioritize, when somebody uh, uh, really goes beyond daily operations to say, How are you doing with this? How are you doing with that? Have I gotten you some experience over here? Have I gotten you involved with this? Can you give me your opinion on that? Those are the type of conversations that really are important. And there are certain events that occur, and I'm sure you know this, Maureen. There's certain times when you have an event and you have to talk with somebody. You got a big deal in your company, your personal life, whatever. You don't have that conversation as the first crucial conversation. (laughs) You have it as the 15th crucial conversation. Once you've tested the water and you guys have had a number of good conversations, you feel comfortable to come in and say, I'm getting a divorce and I'm just having trouble concentrating today. Without being able to say that, um, my performance may suffer, and I, I may lose a lot of ground where I just need a little bit bolstering for a period of time, and yet I don't have the the comfort level to say that, the confidence to go through it, unless I've had four or five really close discussions with my boss, so that I feel a comfort level to, to get at that.
2: For me, the guidance I give is where at all possible, it shouldn't be a crucial conversation. If I'm having the conversations early and often, now some stuff will go off the rails, but mostly, and it's my personal approach, is if you and I are talking, I can say, hey, Mike, this was upsetting to me, or something like that, and we then talk about how do we course correct. Maybe I'm being too sensitive, but but it's a relatively minor adjustment given that we have built a foundation of trust.
3: Yeah and I think that's a a very good way to put it because it really is that foundation of trust that that really builds everything from it but as as a, uh, a boss I'm constantly really thinking to myself uh, because I've got a lot of ideas. I've got a lot of things that, that I have to get done and a lot of things that I want to get done. So I'm constantly asking myself, how much space am I taking up in this relationship? And if I'm taking up a lot of space, nobody feels confident. They, they, they go and do what they're told. They go and do what they think I want, but they really haven't developed themselves. If I pull myself out of that or if they pull themselves out of that, are they more confident people? It's really a worthwhile question to ask because that's at the core of engagement and development.
2: I have another question, and it's going to be a longer question, so I'd like to do it after break. It is confidence versus egotistical versus humble? Because I think it can be confusing. I want people to be confident but humble. And how do those – is that a quick is that something we can answer quickly or pick up later?
3: Uh, let, let's uh, give it a shot and talk a little bit about it. I think it's a worthwhile discussion to have.
2: Okay. So, so we talk about I, it is my role to build confident employees, and I completely agree, and yet there have been times that I have attempted to help people be confident, and what results is egotistical, not confident.
3: yeah. You know, and, and I struggle with this a little bit, too, because on the flip side of humility, uh, one of the things that I always have to be aware of as a boss is that there are some folks who are uh, uh, humble in, in a way that's not helpful for them or the organization. And in particular, I think that we've seen some good research come out right now that uh, uh, women in particular tend to be humble and not lean into things and allow somebody else to take it as opposed to uh, uh, talking up their own strengths or going in where they can do a better job. And, and so, mm-hmm. again, I, I think that's why some of this is so important that we really focus on confidence. So you've talked about you've tried to help somebody become confident. And unfortunately, they've gone off the rails and become egotistical. And I think that that certainly is the fear of a lot of managers. Um, we'll talk about recognition, I think, as as we end today a little bit, which is another strong piece of this that's interesting, how strong it is. But I I think your your point is one that a lot of people have as a fear. If I try and help somebody uh, uh, feel more confident, how do I avoid them becoming egotistical? And, And I know we're moving into break, so maybe we'll talk about that for a couple minutes after break.
2: Great. Thank you. So we'll be right back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morrow fox Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. And today our focus is Bad Bosses. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. listening to innovative leaders driving thriving organizations to reach maureen metcalf or her guests today please call in to 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com now back to this week's program
2: Welcome back. This is Maureen Metcalf and Mike Morrow Fox, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Mike has been talking about bad bosses, characteristics of them, and also the correlating what does a great boss look like? At this point, he was he was referencing how do I help employees build confidence? And my question was: confidence on occasion turns into egotism. So it's confidence kind of run amok and the flip side is humility run amok means I'm almost invisible even though I could be brilliant in making a large contribution so how help me understand Mike a little bit more about your recommendations with regard to balancing and, and working with this kind of polarity
3: Yeah, and I really appreciate the topic because one of the concerns that comes up all the time around recognition or strengths-based development or building confidence is, I'm just going to have these big-headed employees who are going to run around, do the wrong thing, and feel great about themselves rather than (laughs) focusing on their work. And that's a very real concern of a number of people. So let's talk about where humility and confidence uh, intersect. One of the ways that they intersect is is that uh, people who are both humble and confident at the same time really do a lot of back and forth checking. So I may lean into a problem, but the way that I lean into it is not to take control of it, micromanage it, or force it. The way that I lean into it is to say, I have an idea, what do you think? And to then have a critical analysis that's enough to, to get us to the next step. So what I'm going to be doing is helping my employees become confident in their ability to facilitate critical analysis, to facilitate rewarding other people, to to feel comfortable in what they know, but also to be confident in what they don't know. Because really humble, confident people say, you know, that's a great point. Can we research this or can I rely on you for this because it's not my strong suit?
2: So you're saying that if if I am co- truly confident, not fake confident, then I am comfortable enough in my own abilities and also to acknowledge my gaps and seek input.
3: That's exactly correct. And and, uh, and so what we do is is that there's a learning that takes place back and forth between the boss and the employee. If I'm turning out a bunch of egotists, then what I'm learning as a boss is, is that I'm probably not developing very <laughs> yeah. well. That, that it, it, so, so I'm just I'm thinking of that.
2: this conversation this morning.
3: <laughs> At the same time, the employees may be mislearing. It's It's a back and forth. But by focusing on somebody's strengths, that doesn't mean that I don't also, when unfortunately there's something going on, I don't address it. It means that my employees know that I can tell that they are really good at developing relationships with their customers, if they are, and that I'm primarily focused on that strength and utilizing it in a number of different ways. And when they're not showing up on time or their paperwork isn't good or any one of those ancillary things are there, we're discussing them. We're dealing Mm -hmm. with them. But they really feel like, yeah, that stuff is going on, but my boss really is focusing on my strengths. And, and as well, my boss feels comfortable for me to take the wheel for a while. That's where the confidence comes from. My boss knows that I'll ask the good questions and facilitate the good group and do, do those sorts of things. So in the beginning, I'm confident because I'm flying under somebody else's flag. They're helping me feel like I can't do it too wrong. And in mm-hmm. the end, they're able to fly under their own flag and teach somebody else to fly under somebody else's flag. So I think that it's it's a founded fear because as a boss, I may not be so good yet at helping employees gain that that blend of true confidence and humility. But as I get better at it and they get better at it, that's what you end up with. And it's a really worthwhile thing because if I ask myself, are my employees becoming more confident because they're working for me? If I think to myself, they wouldn't say yes to that, I've got a problem as a boss. They're probably not as productive as they should be, they're not as happy, they're not as engaged, and they're not going to be able to assume the leadership mantle when both of us move to the next level.
2: Well, and it's what inhibits both of us from moving to the next level.
3: Absolutely. Which kind of brings us into the next piece here, and that is one of the differentiators between really good bosses and those that aren't so good are recognition. You know, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, so so let's talk a little bit more about recognition.
3: Yeah, so so there's been a couple of really good studies um, uh, uh, I'm looking here for a Towers Watson um, has done a couple of really big ones. One that they've got that's a reference for people listening is tracking people priorities and trends in high-performance companies. It's a mouthful. But if you're tracking people and priorities, you Google that. What you're going to find is is looking across a variety of different uh, business groups – uh, 26 different companies over a five-year study. There were four differentiators between those companies that did extremely well and those that didn't. Three of them make sense. You know, one of them is leadership. One of them is career development. One of them is empowerment. And I think a lot of managers know that. But rewards and recognition was the fourth and for those great companies my supervisor values my contribution and this company makes adequate use of recognition and rewards other than money to encourage good performance those are key indicators for great bosses and great companies a lot of bosses are afraid to do too much recognition you know everybody gets a trophy but we gotta make it special but what we'll find is for transformational leaders They don't wait until you uh, uh, get that big sale to reward you. They're constantly involved in rewarding and recognizing on a formal and informal level. Okay, so
2: recognize on a formal and informal. So what's an informal level?
3: The informal level is we have our conference call, and I started by saying, you know, I just want to take a second and say, I know Maureen put in an extra five hours with that customer on a Saturday, and I just, uh, a polite round of applause, because I know she's always going that extra mile, and I appreciate it.
2: So, with one of my clients, we do a quarterly leadership team for a couple of cohorts, and we start with wins. It's that stuff.
3: Yes. And here's the, the key for people who are listening. When was the last time I did that? Because if it was more than a week or two ago, (laughs) it's too long. Great bosses are doing that on a regular basis. They're catching their employees doing something special and rewarding for it. And it's not a quid pro quo reward. That's transactional bosses. For those people that are uh, really effective bosses, for the greatest leaders and the greatest bosses, what, what they're doing is they're constantly noticing somebody's doing something that's either great or above and beyond, and they're bringing it up.
2: So one of the, the pieces of guidance I give most often, and it's coming out of positive psychology, is as a, as a leader or a boss, I should be making six compliments a day, six positive statements. If I'm not building the habit, then I'm unlikely to be doing it.
3: That's great. I, I think it's a, that's a, it's a great way to live. It's a, a great thing to think about, and it'd be great to have a, just a, a side notebook where you, you tick them <laughs> off.
2: <laughs> I think some of my guys actually did. Uh, just great. just because we're starting and I want to build the habit once it's a habit and I, I walk around looking noticing what's positive and not only do I notice it but I say it versus the mindset that says you're paid to show up to work really I have to tell you thank you for being here today the statistics say yes actually not thank you for showing up but thank you for doing something
3: well yeah and it, and it- it oftentimes may be a little thing sometimes it's a big thing but but either way yeah and i think you're exactly correct that there's a lot of folks who are like hey I'm, I'm busy with my work and they're getting a paycheck and come on now these are just soft skills what are we doing but if you want to look at those companies that you know when we take a look at high recognition companies they have six times greater earnings than low recognition companies. That's something where you have to say, okay, if my sales force can be six times more productive, maybe I just need to say, hey, I really appreciate the way that you listened to that client quietly while they were explaining what they wanted because I know that's going to be a sale later. Those are the types of conversations that should be taking place all the time. And I love your rule of six times a day, I better be finding somebody doing something right and telling them thank you for it.
2: And if it's... If it's six times a day, they haven't changed the world, they haven't cured cancer, but we're creating a culture of positivity where people are also not afraid to, to try something new, that I am more likely to catch them doing something right than catch them doing something wrong.
3: That's a great point.
2: So then it ties into the feedback where I can say, hey, you know, I really value what you're doing and it would help if you notched this one up a little bit. Rather than now, it's not a crucial conversation, it's a passing conversation. Absolutely. So, what else about great bosses?
3: Well, I think we've covered a lot of it and, and kind of bundled it together. But if we take a look at the research, you know, what we've really said today is there's four things I can focus on. If my boss, ba- if my employee doesn't think that I'm focusing on their strengths, I've got work to do. If my employee doesn't feel like they're more confident because they're working to me, I've got work to do. If my employee hasn't been recognized on a regular basis, I've got work to do. And, and by the way, they have to feel like they've been recognized on a regular basis. And, uh, um... Uh, If I am not involving my employee in regular conversations, asking their opinion and and getting their ideas, I've got work to do. Now, I think the next phase of this then, Maureen, is, okay, if I've got work to do, what is that work and how do I do it?
2: So let's go there.
3: Well, so I I think that there's a, a big six in terms of becoming a better boss. And I think what people have to do are a few things. Number one if I find that I'm not doing those things naturally or that I listen to this podcast, I make a commitment to do it more, and then two weeks goes by and I haven't done it, one of the things I can do is the most successful people get a trusted coach and use uh, – and, and we call this action inquiry, but use a method of development where I'm not talking about my childhood, but, but what I'm talking about is I'm talking about uh, a, a problem and working with somebody to solve it, and it's really changing my paradigm. It's changing my point of view. So, so this trusted is the- so, this is
2: the thing I talk about when I say the mind of the scientist that yeah. I have a hypothesis i I try a new behavior and I learn from it
3: yeah and if your your audience was to google action inquiry, there's a lot of really good stuff on it, but I'm looking for someone who I can trust who can do and who can really help me with action inquiry as a method of development. A second thing I can do is I can get uh, um a 360 assessment to identify my strengths and gaps. In the larger corporations, I may have undertaken this before, where I get feedback that's anonymous from my boss and from my employees and from my colleagues and from my customers. That's why we call it 360, it's that whole thing there. But in a small business, a lot of times we don't get it. And so you can get a hold of somebody and have them facilitate it. And and someone who knows about 360s, you can do it through SurveyMonkey. And, uh, uh, or you can get a formal one from one of the larger organizations, Either way, getting that feedback will really help me change a paradigm and really help me understand what what may be going on that's keeping me from doing some of these things. The great. I can A third thing I can do is I can take a look at whether or not I really want to be a great boss. A lot of people don't want to build somebody else's confidence or give compliments or get close to people. They want to get work done. And we call those great individual contributors. And they should be out (laughs) making sales or out uh, digging ditches or whatever they should be, but they shouldn't be managing other people. They shouldn't be somebody's boss. And if I don't have a passion to be a great boss, I really need to think, you know what, maybe I should be an individual contributor. And it's a worthwhile thing to look at because I'll be twice as successful if I was built to be an individual. Individual contributor, as a great individual contributor, than I will be as a manager and leader if I wasn't meant to be a great boss. One that I always recommend, Maureen, is that uh, for a lot of folks it's, it's going into therapy with a psychologist. Because at the core of some of this stuff is an uncomfortableness with my own ability to trust And if I don't have the ability to trust, I can't do a lot of this other stuff, and I have to work that through with a psychologist on a personal level. Have you run into that at all?
2: I have, and I'm going to cut us short in just a minute. But I I personally have worked with a psychologist and, in fact, ended up she contributed to the early foundation of our work. So working with her was, I realized that I'm supposed to be getting myself better, But, but part of what we processed through was how do we think about who we are and the foundation of our entire innovative leadership work is largely know myself and improve myself. And for a lot of us, psychotherapy is a highly respected and important element to look at those parts of me that aren't functioning as well and and just address them. It's not a sign of being broken. In fact, it's a sign of wisdom.
3: That's a great place to leave off. I've really appreciated you bringing up the topic and being able to be a part of the show today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. And I know we didn't cover the things to become a, we did not go through in as much detail as we would have liked. What I'm suggesting, and Mike and I have already made arrangements to do a next recording on specifically, what are the areas, I, actions I take to become a better boss? And we will go through all six of these in significantly more detail. So to recap, and Mike did a brilliant job of this a couple of minutes ago, if I want to be a great boss, leverage points. I focus on my employees' strengths, I help them build confidence. I recognize them consistently throughout our business engagements, not just when they've done something big. And I involve them in regular conversations. So I treat them as human beings, Uh, valued people on my team that if they weren't here, we would not thrive. So, So shifting my mindset from these are the people who who I have to manage and they get paid and we're all here toward these are people I value significantly and how do I treat people I value? So in closing, thank you for joining us. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. It's been Maureen Metcalf and Mike Fox, and we hope to hear from you. Please email us at info at metcalf-associates.com. We would love to hear your comments. We're doing a drawing for most engaged listener. So if you are sending comments to us, we will send you a copy of the Innovative Leadership Fieldbook. And thank you again for joining us. In a section to, uh, in a segment soon to follow will be how to become a better boss. Thank you.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.